We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. fans how you doing it's your boy john of the macker with you for another episode of the Knicks film school podcast it is a holiday weekend but we take no holidays here we are bringing in just the 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 guns they don't get any bigger than this um he is uh now a multimedia star um obviously he runs nick fan tv um cp Join us for today's episode. We talked a little bit about um, what was going on, um, you know, what's been going on with him for over the last year, couple of years, his his uh, journey that he's been on, what the season was like. And then we answer some, I guess, vlog. Were those vlogs, Andrew? I'm calling in. Uh, were those those are vlogs, right? Yes, I think so. Got to be honest, wasn't listening at all. Sorry about that. <laughs> the the clips say? that we answered the questions for, they're called vlogs, right? Oh, no, they're just voicemails. Yeah, they're submissions. But they're, they're video s- voicemails. They're video voicemails. So uh, vlogs are more personal, like a diary. So oh. this was more video submitted uh, questions by oh, key okay. staples of both Nick's Twitter and Nick's, con- Nick's fan content creation. Okay. Not a vlog. Video no. voicemail. Okay. Video voicemail. So CP and I answered some video voicemails, not vlogs. Um, and we had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, yeah, we just finished recording a little while ago. And uh, yeah, you're going to enjoy this one a lot. I, I feel very confident saying that. Um, one other quick programming note. Uh, there's been uh, a lot of talk this week and much uh, Twitter consternation over a certain point guard over on the other side of the country in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we really we touched on the, the topic generally briefly in, in this episode. Um, and the reason we didn't uh, put out a show this week diving really deep on that is because Jeremy and I are going to be doing that um, uh, this weekend. And we will have that episode for you for our big uh, Monday show that will come at you uh, after the, or I guess at the end of the holiday weekend, because Monday is a holiday. So if you want your Dame content, um, stay tuned uh, for that in a couple of days. But right now, here is my conversation with and also me answering some questions along with CP. Joining me now on the next film school podcast, a returning guest, a famous guest. 
a little bit more famous than the last time I talked to him. I think the last time I was probably 50, 100 episodes into this into this pod. I'm like, let me have that. My man who does the talk show on the on, you know, we'll talk about some Nick stuff. And now he's on ESPN radio and the whole thing. Uh, CP, the franchises, I believe the name he goes by. Uh, the franchise, no, R, no, R, the, the franchise is Nick's fan, but it's all good, man. It's all the, good. I see. See, I, when I think of the, the franchise, I think of Patrick Ewing. And when I think of the franchise of Nick's content creators, I think of CP. So that's why it's like I, I put the extra R in. I, I appreciate it. Some people say franchise. Some people say, say franchise. I accept both, man. You know, well, I, I definitely accept both. You are Knicks fan TV. The one and only. Um, that's pretty fucking cool. Can I just, I, I don't usually curse this early in the show, but I'm going to do it because you've earned it. Um, how's this year been for you, man? It's been a, a roller coaster uh, ride, man. It's just, you know, not expecting this team to do shit. And, you know, them coming out and blowing out the bucks and, and you know, just 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 defying expectations from the jump, man. Even in the preseason, you know, you just felt the energy yeah. around this team. And, um, you know, as they kept winning, uh, the, you know, the excitement of the fan base started ratcheting up. And and then, you know, a lot of opportunities just just started, you know, knocking on the door. And, and so uh, it was just a great experience, man, going down to Atlanta. Uh, was a great experience, even though we got washed in three and four. That wasn't so great, but, uh, you know, just just celebrating with the fans and being around the fans down there, uh, being with the fans outside of game one and two. Uh, we also had a crew outside of MSG in the final three home games at MSG yeah. leading up to the playoffs. So that was great, man. Just a story behind it and, and them trying to maintain that number four seed. It was great. It, it was a it was a roller coaster ride. So. So I think it, it, God, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was at the, I think the beginning of maybe the 2019, 20 season when um, I had you on the pod, I had already been on your show probably a couple times at that point. I was like, I think I was like a semi-regular guest at first um, and on the pod. And like, so I started the podcast podcasting was around for a while though. You started this and it was like, I remember when I first heard of you, I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. I remember when I first heard of you and what you did, I'm like, so it's a call-in show, but it's on the internet. But, but you're not supposed to do that on the internet. That's a radio thing. What is this? What's going on? And now everybody looks at you and like, oh my God, this, this person is kind of like revolutionizing what media is and like what you can do and what you're capable of if you're if you're you know have the you know the impetus behind it i have to ask because again i've never we've never had have we ever talked about this we've never we've never talked about this when you came up with this idea did you think like oh shit i might be onto something big or you just like i just want to talk to nick fans and like we'll figure out the rest later yeah really it was just figured out by the day you know what I mean? It was just figuring out by the day. Now, like I'm an FAN baby, I'll say that, and and that had a tremendous. Me and you um, both. Well, you're. Yeah. I'm thirty. Oh Christ! I'm thirty eight. <laughs> you're th- six, thirty six. Thirty six. So we, we we grew up with the same people. Yeah, yeah. So being you know that they were the primary influence, I just said, listen, let's just go for it and see what happens. And uh, you know, it started getting more and more popular, and more and more people would start calling in and, and supporting. And then you know, off season. Going after Katie, Kyrie, the whole Zion thing, I was like, well, if we get these guys, this thing is going to go through the roof. 
It's <laughs> like, if you don't get these guys, I might have to think about something else, you know, <laughs> because I didn't think this thing was going to do much after that. But when we didn't get them, you know, and, and we signed Julius and Taj and Portis, the interest started going even higher. Yeah, it, it was crazy, man. And, and it just it just never, you know, the momentum just kept going. And then having this surprise season, it, it was just at a fever pitch. So it's, it's been great, man. I don't know how you feel because I I get it a lot um, a lot now where people will reach out specifically. And we, we talked about this when we had our, our thing that we did, you know, mm-hmm. a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, people have reached out and and said not so much, you know, thanks for your you know coverage of the team this season and and what you're adding to it, but like, thank you for sticking with it during like not only the the pandemic was its own thing, right? That, I mean, that was a world thing, mm-hmm. but like the 17 win, you know, team yeah. before the summer of, of 2018 and then trying to just stay positive through some of the, I mean, listen, we, we could, we, we don't have to talk about it too much, but like there were some tough, tough times in terms of putting a, putting a, putting a smiling face on. Right. Tough. Like, do, do you get some of the same thing from people? Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and going through those leagues. That was the Frank draft. I went out to MSG, was, you know, interviewing fans who were sorely disappointed that we picked a French kid over a number <laughs> of players. It, it was, you know, came in because we came in, you know, nervous about the whole Kristaps thing. Was Phil going to trade Kristaps? You know, yeah. the Booker stuff was out there. All the rumors, the Celtics rumors were there. And then we end up plucking out Frank and, and it was just, you know, like a funeral outside of the the uh, the Paramount Theater. But, um, you know, you get that, that appreciation from the fans. I feel like, you know, especially the out of towners who feel alone when it comes to the Knicks and the 17 yeah. win season who they have nobody to talk to. You know, we, we take it for granted that we're here in New York. You could step outside in the corner, you go to your local watering hole and there's a guy at the bar who will talk Knicks with you. You know, a lot of these guys out of town, international, they don't have that. And so there's a lot of appreciation from those type of fans. And then through the pandemic, you know, you get a lot of messages from fans that say, you know, you got me through some dark times. I was depressed. I was going through something. And that's deep, man. It it means a lot, especially when you're putting in the work, you're doing this thing consistently night in, night out. You don't know who's watching. You don't know who's listening. But then you get those messages and it's like, wow. and, And it keeps you going. So, Will, uh, speaking of messages, that's I should, probably should have said this up top, but again, this is like my first or second uh, rodeo. Um, we're going to have some messages from some uh, from some fans that we're going to be listening to and I guess watching um, and answering some some questions. Um, you just made me made me um, think of this like when people reach out to me with some of that stuff. And again, I want to get your input on this because I know you get the same thing. There's not many people I can talk to about this. Like, I know I'm a crazy person with how much I've been obsessed with this team over the course of my life. But that's me. Like, you you can accept your own crazy, but you think that you're unique in your crazy. You don't... <laughs> right? No, I mean, you're laughing. But then when you get people who, like, people will, like, write me, you know, emails, like, with their, like, long trade out. And I'm like, wow, th- this person took the time to do this. But then I'm like, but so would I. So, like, why should I? But I'm still surprised. Are you, are you like, surprised? by it you know what 
in a way, no, because that's kind of why I started it, because I just felt like, again, coming off of the FAN, you know, uh, just being an FAN baby and, and feeling the passion of the fan base. And but also seeing that as a team was in the doldrums last 20 years, the coverage was less, became less and less. I always knew the passion was still there. So yeah. it wasn't really surprising that, you know, run into fans who want to get your take on the, the latest trade rumors or they DM you trade scenarios. Mm. Tra- you get trade machine screenshots and all your messages and whatnot. So, um, no, not really surprised that there, there are fans out there that are equally, if not more delusional than, than you and I and, and just just fanatics for this team. Yeah, they call, you know, fan is short for fanatic. All right. Um, um, I personally don't think about far down the line because I, I just, I don't know, I'm sitting here having fun um, in my, in my glorious podcasting studio with the, with the washer and dryer. One of these days I'm going to get a real mark my words, CP like you have very fancy. Um, do you, do you think about what's ahead? Like where, where, where this could, I mean, look, you made it onto a national radio show this year. Yeah. I mean, that's not something that many people do. Yeah. Um, where, where are you going to be? You know, should I, I could ask it this way. Where will you be CP in five years <laughs> five from right years. now? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, it's from 2017 to now. Yes. You, you, you plan here and there for what you want to do during the season, but a lot of it has just been just taking it day by day. You know, I had no idea the Kellerman stuff was going to drop into my lap. And, and I, I would always, you know, talk trash about them and go on my anti-Knicks, you know, my anti-LOL Knicks diatribe, but never knowing that, you know, you'd be sitting across from the guy virtually uh, and doing these weekly segments. So it's been a great opportunity. I haven't really thought about it, you know, what, what the future holds. It's just really just taking it one season at a time. Uh, we're expanding the team, which has been great. And, and uh, you know, the audience continues to expand. And so we're just going to keep rocking with it, man. Just having a lot of fun with it. Like a lot of collaborations with, with you and, and Wolf and, you know, the usual guys in the network, which has been fun and uh, which which contributes to the growth of the channel. And so, yeah, man, just just taking it one day at a time, really. Yeah, no. And, and we'll, we'll get into the questions now. I, I do wonder, though, sometimes like we did a show a few a few months back about like ranking the different New York sports teams and like with how big not only the community of Nick fans is, but well, obviously to have a content community, content creator community, like we have, you need a big community of Nick fans. I really don't know that there's anything quite like this in the world of sports. And I, I don't, I swear, I'm not just saying that because we, we do this and we're on with each other, but like, I don't know, man, I think it's unique. I think it's one of a kind. It, there's nothing like it on NBA Twitter. The no. Laker Nation is not like this. No, um, they no. have, you know, they have their guys like there is Laker Nation, the actual channel. And they're, they're very big on YouTube. I think they have over uh, 200,000 um, subscribers and, and you have your, your other uh, content creators as well. But in NBA, you know, the NBA community, they, there's nothing like it where you have so many Knicks content creators. Um, the Premier League, like you'll have it with the soccer clubs, but that's that, a good one. I, didn't know, think, they, I don't think certainly out there on a global scale. Yeah, um, like Arsenal fan TV work. But like, we're global too. Yeah, I know you get the messages from people in yeah. every continent and country, so. and you know. Yeah, very, very much so. But yeah, there's nothing like it, man. And like I said, it's it's part of the reason why I started it because I knew like the passion was there. You know, I knew the passion. Others to to continue oh, yeah. to go out, get a microphone, and and start their own platform. So it's very rewarding in, in that regard. Well, as I tell people, if I can do it. 
any idiot can <laughs> because this idiot did and still does. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. <laughs> Somehow. On that note, I believe, I believe our trusty producer behind the scenes, Andrew Claudio. Hello, Andrew. Very tanned, Andrew. Just came back. Can I say where you came back from? Yeah, I went to Florida. Yeah, you nice. can say it. Clear, yeah. clear, clear water, right? Clearwater, Florida. Shout out to the wonderful beaches of Florida that cooperated. Uh, I was, I mean, for those of you back here in New York, you'll understand how stunned i was to come home and it was hotter yesterday uh not a fan by the way new york i came back for it to cool down i was wearing my air my, my airplane sweats and was not planning on coming back and it being this hot so well, um, that's that's your mistake to wear sweatpants fair but that and that's weather talk here on the next film school podcast um <laughs> Uh, CP, as always, homie, it's good to see you. There is, uh, I thought this would be, I guess John and I thought this would be a fun thing to do as far as a crossover and a celebration of Knicks fan content creation. 
And as a result, I have selected or we went out and got a bunch of different questions from some Nick's Twitter people, some Nick's content creators, uh, and a very special last one that I, I'm very excited for you to see. It's spe- specifically UCP. Um, Let's do it. And I figure that's how we'll do a voice mailbag is what we got for us today. So are you guys ready? I, I was born ready. Born ready, he said. All right. The first, the first question. Nick's Film School and Nick's Fan TV collide. That is a collaboration that I am here for all day. What's up, guys? Danny B. Just wanted to throw a little question at you guys. All the Dame talk that's going around with having to include RJ in a trade. I don't want to talk about that specifically. What I want to ask you guys about, in and I know it's tough to put a cap on RJ, but what do you see him becoming realistically in, say, year five, year six, year seven down the road? I'm just curious. I know it's tough to compare, you know, say this guy's like that guy. I hate doing that, but I'm just kind of curious where you see his game going in the next say three four five years cp you're the guest of honor you can have a first crack here well i think it's definitely encouraging to see his his jump between year one and year two particularly from three-point line you know i think he finished at about 41 percent from three um he upped his free throw percentage to about 75 percent and upped his points per game to about 17 so that was definitely encouraging to see um his progression in particularly from catch and shoot um i feel like you know, if he continues to put in the work, he can he can scratch that all star level. But I think it's critical to see him be able to shoot off the bounce. I think that that's going to be the next part of his evolution, being able to to shoot off the bounce. Um, you, you saw some glimpses there this season that you were encouraged by. He he tried to kind of patent a little mid range move. He, you know, obviously it wasn't consistent. He, he he didn't have great touch around the rim. He shot only about fifty percent from the rim. So you want to see him improve there. Uh, but as as he and Drew. Hanlon both said, you know, you know, his, his shot going off the bounce uh, is going to be pivotal. And we're starting to see that a little bit as we watch the uh, the Olympic qualifiers against Greece and China. You saw some filthy step back three pointers that that he shot there and uh, really trying to work off, off the dribble. So I think if he can get that, you know, he can move from 17, maybe gets over 20 a little bit, maybe next year. I think he could, he could start scratching some some all star nods. Um. Man, I hope we we disagree at some point. Um, yeah, I, I mean, CP said everything. It's it's the shot creation in particular. It's the perimeter shot creation. Um, you know, like I did a newsletter a, a week or two ago in which I kind of compared his um, how the percentage of his shots that came by assist um, both behind the three point line and inside the three point line. And there's no starker difference in in the league amongst high volume guys like he doesn't get assisted on anything inside the arc and yet everything behind the arc is assisted. Um, so if it's, it's just about upping the, like the, the comparison that I came away from that with was basically his, I, I had always thought of his ceiling as Jimmy Butler. And I think I came away from that thinking that his ceiling could be, if we can, if we could get the inside the arc part yeah. from Jimmy Butler, but if we could get the behind the arc part from someone like Jalen Brown, who started off his career like RJ, 96, 97, 98% of his shots behind for three point line were assisted. And now he's whatever he's year four, year five. Um, he's down to 80%. If he, if RJ could just get to like where 20, 25% of his shots behind the arc are unassisted, that would be 
I mean, it would go such a long way towards making him a more complete player. And then you throw in, you know, if he could become more of a playmaker like like Butler is and obviously more proficient around the rim. What is that? I mean, is that it? Is that it? The top 10 player, top 15 player, whatever it is, it's something I want to see. So very, very excited. Yeah. yeah, definitely something I want to see. And I thought the playmaking was there in spurts. I felt like we kind of yeah. went away from that. It was a bit inconsistent. We, you know, we used to see those games where we kind of start that first play of the game where they would run either those double screens for RJ or that screen for RJ. Yes. Maybe he turn that into a Gotham lob to Mitch or kind of take that inside. I'd like to see that going a lot more, you know, to add some more versatility to his game because the playmaking potential is definitely there. And then I also think, you know, who he plays with is going to factor into it. Um, I was encouraged by the chemistry that he and Julius put on in between year one and year two. Obviously, a lot of the, the prowess that he had from Cashew 2 3 came off of the hands of Julius being able to find him. Peyton, not so much. Bullock, not so much. And, and, and there we go. So if we can finally get that playmaker on the perimeter, um, I think that's also going to factor into RJ's progression. I just want to say, real. I'm happy you mentioned Mitch. Um, I we, I don't even know. We may have talked about this on your show. Um, I, I would you could argue that no one was hurt by Mitch going down more than RJ in yep. terms of just the the offensive cohesion and and all that. So yep. hopefully we get him back as well. Um, all right, Mr. Claudio, are we gonna try this again? Hello, this is Stacy Patton, longtime listener, first time caller. Shout out to Andrew and John. I'm glad I get to send in this question. Um, but my question is, if you could take one skill or one development within reason for any player on the Knicks roster, what would that skill and player be? Um, for example, if you could add Emmanuel quickly getting to the rim and finishing at 60% three times a game. You don't have to be that specific, but Emmanuel quickly ability to attack the rim. Or is it RJ Barrett passing? Uh, and please keep it within reason. Uh, you know, don't say Mitchell Robinson turning into a high since there was no, um, you know, uh, we're not constrained within the bounds of being realistic. Um, I'm I'm off the dribble threes for Mitch all the way every day. No questions. <laughs> Let it That's what I'm taking. Okay, now do a realistic one because I think he, I think he actually did say that. <laughs> off, off, off the dribble threes for RJ. That's okay. Uh, CP. Okay. Um. So, so since we talked about RJ, I'll go somewhere else. I'll go playmaking for Emmanuel quickly. Uh, the, the shooting is already there. I think it'll will, it'll continue to grow at an elite level as he continues to read defenses and, and get better. But the playmaking, if he can put that together, and, and with playmaking, you have to consider, obviously, ball handling has to improve. Uh, overall, offensive awareness has to improve. But playmaking, out of the pick and roll, drive and kick, out in transition, you know, he, he missed a lot of reads this year. He's still, he's still growing in, into that guard role. Whether or not he's going to be on ball or off ball, primarily we'll see. But I think I think adding playmaking to Quickly's game, uh, maybe you have your point guard of the future. Who knows? I was I was about to say if you gave him, let's whose bag should we give him? We give him Lamelo's bag. Is that good enough? That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> let's give him let's give him Lamelo's bag. That means we have our starting point guard yeah. at uh and we're paying him like seven million dollars a year for the next uh three seasons combined total. Incredible. That's not bad. Yeah. That's pretty good. I will I will take that. That's a good one. I like that answer. I'll, I'll actually change my answer. I want that too. Um, <laughs> just because I love Emmanuel quickly and I want to see him. for IQ, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Playmaking for IQ. There's a t-shirt. Um, all right, Andrew, what's up next? Hey, y'all. First, I would like to say this mailbag crossover is such an amazing idea. You all do an amazing job. Nick fans appreciate each and every one of you because Lord knows we cannot count on ESPN for proper representation. Um, I was wondering, with all these flashy names being thrown out at the Knicks, what is a more realistic moves the Knicks should make this offseason without costing us our core or messing with our team chemistry? And also, when the hell did the Knicks enter must-win-now mode? Like, what happened to patience? And I feel like we are still building. We're doing better than expected, but we need to remember it's a process. What's a good, uh, CP, you want to... TS off. Yeah, so I'll say you know realistic moves. Um, you know Lonzo. I think Lonzo could be a realistic move, even though I'm still on the fence about it. Um, do they make a move for Josh Hart, Miles Turner? You know, is is he a guy they go after? I mean, there's a lot of guys in the Pacers that that I think could could be potential moves. Even I'm looking at Brogdon. I'm looking yeah. at uh, T.J. Warren. You know, injuries aside, um, Kelly Olynyk. Another guy, you know, RJ's guy, uh, uh, stretch <laughs> five for you, you know, give you a little defense. Uh, you know, th- those are the type of moves. I guess you can put Lowry in that category. I'm trying not to put it in the category because I really don't want him. But, um, you know, th- those are kind of the, the moves that I kind of feel like are in the realistic realm right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny. There's not I, – I think about this stuff a lot, trust me. There is not a single move that I have thought of yet in terms of a signing, in terms of a free agent signing or like an obvious trade or something where I look at, I'm like, that's exactly the thing that we need to do. Right. There's nothing. And I don't, I I don't know if it's just like, I overthink this stuff now, or if it's just this off season. Um, I, I mean, it's kind of a cop out because I've been I've been thinking about it a lot lately and writing about some of these guys. But like, I think packaging the picks to trade up in the draft um, is probably the most realistic thing that they could do that would be semi exciting. Um, You know, I I know uh, I forget who who said it recently, but like the draft kind of the talent drops off after like nine or ten. I I'm not sure who those, I mean, we know who like the top five slash six are, but I see it kind of fluid. Then from there, it's like the eye of the beholder from like seven to, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15. So I just want to get up in that range and get a guy that we could look at and be like, this is, we got a guy, we got a, a guy we could really believe in and, and could be part of the core moving forward. A little bit more of a sure thing than I think we might get at 19, 20 or 21. The second part of the question, when did it become win now? Um, Winning changes, winning changes expectations, right? I mean, CP, you're, you're, I know as much of an NBA historian as a Knicks fan and like, it's quaint to be able to sit here and say, oh, they'll just stay the course and whatever comes is fine. Even if what comes next year is, you know, 30 seven and 45, but as long as like it looks good and the young player, like that's, that's going to be okay. I just don't believe Leon Rose thinks like that. And I don't think anybody assumes Leon Rose is thinking like that. Where, where are you? That's kind of the perspective I come at it from. 
winning, as you said, the, the, the pressure's on, man. The pressure's on. Getting that number four seed in the East, making the playoffs, the fans, their, their, their thirst has been quenched a little bit. So thirsty. You can't, you can't go backwards. It's got to be only up from here. Yeah. I think I think I wouldn't necessarily say it's become win now because I think if you look at their intentions last offseason, offering Gordon Hayward a contract, there was interest in Beasley. Yeah. You know, they, they had their guys. They weren't just going to say, okay, let's ha- hand the keys to the young guys and go. I think with Tibbs on board, um, they were always going to try to get pieces to help them win at their price. You know, yes. they weren't going to jump over uh, over the moon for some of these guys. Which I'm glad they, they didn't for, for like a Hayward and things of that nature. So I think they, you know, they always had their targets at a reasonable cost. But now that they've made it to the 4C, there's no turning back. So, again, you know, going back to what are the realistic moves, I'm not sure, you know, which one of these things really increases their chances of, of maintaining a four seater better because you, you got to factor in, you know, the Hawks are going to be a legitimate uh, force next year. Uh, what does Boston do? What does Indiana do? So Knicks are going to be in a dogfight, man. This is going to be a pivotal offseason for them. The, the one the one thing I'll just add on to that, because, you, you, again, you nailed it, is – I think sometimes we get a little bit too caught up in timelines when we think about um, team building. And I think it could just come down to like, just make the smart move. Like whatever you think of Gordon Hayward or, or, you know, I know whatever age he is, like if they were able to get him last season at whatever the number was three for 73 for 72, like it's a risk you take. It's a risk you take. If you're a crappy team, it's a risk you take. If you're, you know, a pretty good team, because that's the right, that was the right number for him. Charlotte, took the right number and they blew it out of the water, which is why they got him. And which is why that contract is probably not so great now because he got injured this year and so on and so forth. So I think there's just right moves and wrong moves. They tried to make right moves last season. It worked. I think they'll try to make right moves again this season. I think the only difference is when you come to the fork in the road where you're like, okay, we could win the chip this year. Do we now, do we now put the right, or, or do we now bypass the conversation about is this the right, the wrong move, and is this the move that can get us over the hump and get us, you know, the ticker tape parade? And that's what I think has fans a little bit uneven because some, and we'll probably get into this, I'm sure, but some of the stuff that's being talked about would seem to be that caliber of a move, yes. and they're not, and they're not quite there yet. So no, I don't think I don't think they're there yet. I don't think that they, and like you said, the, 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 the hunger to, to make it happen or the impatience is now back. And so that's what I'm worried about, you know, going into next season. If this team doesn't meet those expectations, how will the narrative change? You know, so, you know, time will tell. Narratives mean a lot here as, as we know. Um, Mr. Claudio. Guys, what do you think of the Hornets guards, Terry Rozier, Malik Monk and Devante Graham? Rogier's been a rumored trade target for a while, and he's really turned his career around in Charlotte. He's entering the final year of his deal. He's making about $18 million. And Devontae Graham and Malik Monk are both restricted free agents. And I think Devontae Graham would be great off the bench. And Malik Monk, it looked like he was finally figuring it out in Charlotte this year. And there's obviously the Kentucky connection there. So I want to know what you guys think about those three guys. Thanks. 
Um, shout out to Chip Murphy. Uh, shout out to all of our contributors so far, which, um, by the way, I haven't shouted out yet because this is the first one we've heard live. Don't tell them the behind the scenes. They don't need to know any of this. Who do they miss? Shout out to Danny. Shout out to Sue. And shout out to Stacey Patton. Stacey Patton and Sue. Yes. Okay. So to Chip's question, I'll because I've talked to Chip about this a lot off off and online. Um I really like Devontae Graham of the three he mentioned. I, I don't I don't love the idea of trading for Terry Rozier because you're trading for an expiring Terry Rozier for the for the right to then pay Terry Rozier some ungodly amount of money that I don't want to pay him. Um Graham is interesting to me because he is he's a, he's an off the dribble like what we were talking about before with RJ. He's an off the dribble guy. Um, that can create offense for you. And just because he's small and he's not really a point guard, I feel like maybe there's a, um, a market there that's under what, what his, his value can be. And I know with him personally, I get caught up in, well, he's not a starting point guard because he's too small and he's not really a playmaker. He's more of a two guard in a, in a point guard's body. So really, what are you doing? You're coming off the bench. If we didn't have quickly, I would be right. more inclined to make the play for Graham CBI see you, you nodding there. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm, I'm with you there. I just, I just question the fit with Graham uh, because I kind of feel like we have Graham in yeah. it quickly, even though yes, Graham will give you uh, more buckets off the dribble and, and uh, is better at the mid range. I just feel like, you know, how would he fit here with quickly uh, the Rozier thing from a performance standpoint, I think he'd be worth it, man. He came around, had an outstanding year, about 38% from three on, on eight attempts uh, gave us fits in, in, in the games that we played against him for sure. What's uh, the trade I, though? Like you're, yeah. they're, they're going to ask for what are they going to ask for? Yeah, MJ, MJ, you know, he's going to want to want the Knicks to pay a tax. MJ, <laughs> the Knicks tax yeah, for MJ. <laughs> the Knicks tax. It's historic and, and the, present day. The double nickel wasn't enough. And all yeah. the playoff series weren't enough. That's we, it. That's it, man. So, as you said, you know, with him being uh, going into his walk year, I'm not sure, um, you know, what the trade would be. And, and then, yeah, again, how much are you going to give up for a guy that you're then going to have to pay? Long term, you know, ideally you're going to want to have to pay for a long term. So that that's a tricky move. I'm not so sure. I'll say this: if it's funny because we just talked about it. it's not the time to go all in. Rozier, because of his salary, because it's a fair number, he's at uh, I think he's at, he's, at, he's on the Randall contract. He's at yep. 19. That would be, um, uh, I guess, a quote unquote ancillary move that they could make if they made a bigger move because you could slot that salary in with the plan on just, all right, we'll pay him whatever it takes to keep him next year, but, but we'll, it's okay if we go over the cap to do that because we'll already have like our team in place. Yeah. But I don't think you trade for Terry Rozier with the intention of paying him. If you don't have that team already in place because you're going to wind up paying him too much that it, it'll prohibit you from doing other stuff. So I just make yeah. 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 Tricky situation. Yeah. Um, Monk, you know, I could see Monk as a possibility. You, know, you like Monk? With the Kentucky connection. Not really, but I can. I can <laughs> you know what I mean? You're so diplomatic. You're yeah. like, yeah, Monk. I, I could see it, you know, just, just from the whole Kentucky thing. I, I could definitely yeah. see it, but no, I, I, that wouldn't be, uh, you know, my first choice. It, it would not. It would nor nor would it be mine. Yeah. Um, Mr. Claudio, we see your Twitter uh, feed, by the way. I don't know if that's your intention. Now you're you know you're on mute. Now we can't hear you. <laughs> I really need. It's not. For this. It's not. I'll put it out. Takes later. Jacob Degrom has 14 strikeouts, and I need to be like, wait, what? Oh, wow. 
CP, his six, 18, 14 strikeouts in six innings. That means he retired 18 outs. And 14 of them are strikeouts. He's not Probably human. just going crazy this year. Yeah, let's, see if I, let's see if I know the major league record off the top of my head. It's 21, right? Is it still 21? It's 20. It's 20. Oh, it's, it's 20. 20. Yeah. 21 in an extra inning game, maybe? I don't think anybody's ever. Was it Kerry Wood that hit 20? Kerry Wood hit 20. Um, let's see. Uh, Roger Clemens hit 20. David Cohn hit 20. Yeah, I think that's that's it. No, John, don't. I didn't mean to ask you to mute. You can unmute. I was about to say that I, I got put. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, I hit the wrong button. Let All me right. Get, let me get uh, the next question out. Yeah, By the yes, way, please. Yes. So the next question, I'm just going to full disclosure. I I respect this guy's intelligence so much, but he ignored the 35 to 40 second limit that I put on everybody. So Dallas Amico, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, hey, y'all. I hope y'all are having an awesome uh, off-season or start to the off-season. Uh, quick question here. Um, Dallas Amigo, by the way. Um, yeah, so one of the things that I've been thinking about while watching the playoffs this year is just the importance of um, being able to take and make difficult shots against closeouts on the perimeter, especially for your secondary guys. So you have your primaries who create good looks or who create reasonable looks, but defenses are prepared... Um, uh, uh, and ready um, in the playoffs, and they play at much higher levels of intensity. So you're seeing closeouts that are tight almost every shot. So when you have guys like, for example, Reggie Bullock, who um, has a release that's a little bit out in front of him and struggles to sort of get shots off against super tight, super close contests, um, that can be taken away in the playoffs, uh, to some degree at least. Um, And we've also seen it with guys like Royce O'Neal, who are just unwilling to shoot against a contest. Um, And this makes life easy for the defense, and it takes away a great shot that during the regular season maybe you were able to get, maybe you were able to um, go back to. On the other hand, we've seen guys like um, uh, 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 Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles, even Jay Crowder, who can just basically elevate and take a shot no matter what the contest is, right? Um, Their release is super high uh, and quick, and it just doesn't matter how you contest them. They're going to be able to get a shot off. Um, And I think this is, when when we think about the future, maybe super important um, to get guys like that as your role players uh, to surround your stars. So, um... My question is, uh, first of all, do you agree? Does that seem right to you? And then second, are you familiar with or do you have any thoughts about guys in the draft or free agency who maybe we could be thinking about um, uh, uh, who have that sort of skill, the ability to get difficult shots off against contest because of maybe their high release or their quick release or something like that um, for us to all be thinking about? Uh, yeah. Anyways, thanks so much. This is awesome. Uh, excited to hear how the rest of this goes. Take care, guys. I would just like to note for the record that I would like to live yeah. Dallas Amico's life. Well, where is he at? Is he in the Hamptons? Dallas with He's quick in flex. Eden, actually. Wow. And uh, Adam and Eve are like just to the side. They're <laughs> chewing on an apple. And uh, that's great for him. And I'm really happy with uh, the that he flex, you know, with the waters in the background. I like that, man. You, you can hear the mopeds in, in the, in the back. 
it's just I just someday I want to live that life. Um, I can't even answer the question. Do you do you want to go? I do you want to take this one or you want to? Yeah, you know he he hit it right on the head, man. Because I go back to it, and I actually I spoke about this on uh, on my draft show uh, last night. And um, I go back to that clip from from Bob Myers of the Warriors when he was at MIT on the basketball analytics conference. And he spoke about how, you know, the playoffs is really the time when you want to evaluate players because, you know, that's when you want to see how how flexible are they? How versatile are they when you take away their primary move? You know, what do they have left in their bag? And that's really when you want to evaluate them. And I, I, I every time, every game that I watched, I, I went to game one, two, three and four. Knicks versus Hawks and every game that I watched that quote was just in my head and and I just I saw it in the Hawks and I didn't see it with the Knicks and and this is why to me this Hawks team is where they are because yes Trey has his brilliance but when you look at Herder uh, Bogdanovich Danilo you know these are guys that when you when you attack them on those closeout when you try to take away that three-point shot where they're lethal they can put the ball on the floor they can create, you know, Herder more and Bogdanovich more so, and they can get their shot off. And, and they have so much versatility there on the perimeter that it makes them such a dangerous team. Then you factor in the, the you know, the, the prolifics of, of a Trey Young, who's a superstar in the making. And then you got Capella, who's dominating. But, you know, to have that type of versatility is so clutch and so important. And with the Knicks, we, we just did not have that. You know, you he mentioned Bullock in the clip. And he had, yeah, Trey Young, who, who's he looked like Dallas out there on the beach in terms of defending Bullock. He, he didn't have to do anything. You know, he was on a vacation. We just did not have it when it came to that. Burks showed you something in game one. The only problem is he, he's just too inconsistent. I would still bring him back, though. I like Burks. But, you know, he's he, he's that type of guy that, that we need. So um, I, I think Dallas hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, this is the... Um Kevin Herter got a ninety million dollar extension. What question? Oh, 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 oh. I'm saying this. It's, I'm previewing what's going to happen in about a month when when they because they're able to extend him. Uh, he's extension eligible this summer because um, he's going to get that money, and Macal Bridges is going to get that money, and, and obviously Macal does some stuff on the other end that's pretty good too. But like I, I think back to around draft time when Macal was coming out. And obviously we picked Kevin Knox because there was this allure of shock creation, right? Um, with Kevin Knox that has not come to fruition with McCall. I remember it was an article on the ringer. I, I apologize. I forget who wrote it, but it was like, Oh, if he puts this and that together, could he, you know, maybe he's Kawhi. Here's the thing about McCall bridge. He doesn't need to be Kawhi. He just needs to be able to put the ball on the floor and do stuff with it. You know, you know, get from point A to point B when he does. If someone attacks a closeout, I was watching some Moses Moody film um, in preparation for a newsletter next week, um, and I, uh, the LSU second at LSU game, and he started off. I think he hit, had like sixteen of their first twenty points. He was hitting everything from three because they were in a zone, and then they just started playing up on him, and he didn't. He couldn't do anything. Now, um, that's not to say that he moves. He's barely nineteen years old. Maybe he could grow, but like. For the Knicks, it's not just it's not enough to to look at Moses Moody and be like, oh, he could shoot, he could play defense. That let's let's bring him in here. That's exactly what we need. No, now there is this. Or I shouldn't say now. More than ever, there is this ancillary piece with what what is your counter when teams right. know what you want to do and they right. take it away. So I I mean I, I completely completely agree with this, which is why. And the last thing I'll say on this is the the notion of bringing in guys who. 
maybe their ceiling is a primary or maybe not a primary and like a starter primary. Cause I don't think we're getting that guy in this draft, but like off the bench or like, you know, like I, a train train man is someone I've kind of fallen in love with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even if he's not your starting point guard of the future, if you could put him out there and he could survive on defense and he could do all the things that he does, like you're not going to be able to play that guy off the floor. Cause he could just do too much good stuff to help you. So yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's where my head's at. It's just, Easier said than done, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, man. And and it's man, you know, if if we were to stay put at nineteen and twenty one, I'm looking oh. at, you know, is man that type of guy? Uh, Book Knight seems like he's rising up the charts. Not sure if he'll oh. be there, but you know, is he that guy? Uh, Kispert to to a certain extent. Not sure where he's going. No, he can do there. some stuff with with yeah. the ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm new. Well, I'm saying, is he going to fall to nineteen? I'm Here, sure. hold on, hold on, because the next question is draft related. So okay. before you oh, get okay. into it, let's go. Let's go. Here we go. <laughs> Hey, fellas, Tiff here. Um, the only question and comment I really have is about the upcoming draft. I know we have, what, 19, 23, and 31 as our picks. Um, what do you think we'll do with those picks if we don't do anything dramatic in terms of a big trade with all the Dame talk? I'm really hoping that they trade up for Boot Knight because I think he'll be special. And I think, you know, he's from he's from New York, and I think he wants to be a Nick. And, yeah, that's it. Shout out to Tiff. I love Tiff. Tiff is my favorite. Um, I, she, she said book night. You said book night before. Could we, is book night our guy CP? Let's agree on this right now. Who is, who is Nick's nation? Like this is the guy that we want. I'm a man and Kispert guy. I, I know Kispert. Kispert to me is my Joe Harris. Joe Harris is a okay. guy that I wanted on the Knicks. I know those two names are not popular right now based on how they played in their respective finals. I like Kispert, man. I like Kispert. Um, but I do like McKnight, man. You know, as a local kid, an absolute dog out of UConn. Yes, you want to see, you know, the, the shooting come around. But I, I like McKnight as well, man. But I think... Which one is the more realistic target at 19 if you're not moving up? It could be Kispert because I don't know. It seems like Book Knight is, is moving. It seems so like he's moving, man. Book Knight's not falling to 19. Yeah. Kispert, you know, it's it's funny. These guys always fall, right? The guys who are there, like he's a senior. It's like there's not, there's no, I, I want to couch this. There's no, like high, high, high upside with Kisper. Like, you know what Kisper, like you just said it, he's Joe Harris. Well, Joe Harris got paid 70 some odd million dollars yeah. this off season. You know, that's a, that's a pretty valuable piece. I mean, the only other, the only other, I'm trying to think who else I want to mention here. I'm scared of Cooper. How do you feel about Cooper CP? You like Cooper? Cooper, Cooper. Sharif Cooper. I'm scared. I'm scared of him. I'm very frightened. I'm scared of the shot, bro. I'm, I'm getting Peyton nightmares. Forget the playmaking because I know he's a wizard there. But yes. I, I'm just getting those, okay, we don't respect anything that you're doing. Uh, yeah. And, and we're going to force you to shoot. Um, I, I'm scared. Uh, I'm scared. I, I need a for sure bucket. You know what I mean? Well, I need a for sure bucket. I so, don't want the guy that has to learn to figure or figure out to get his shot off. If you need to learn how to get a bucket on the NBA level, when you, I mean, his rim, it's not just the outside shot. His rim numbers at, at Auburn scared me, but like, you know, yeah. there's some context. The only other guy I want to say, because it's just like every year, right? CP, I know you could back me up on this. Every year, you were two weeks into games and you get the Zach Lowe's and the John Hollingers and the whoever else is of the world going like, 
how the hell did this guy fall to? And you can say it was actually quickly this year. Um, you how the hell did this guy fall to whatever he fell to? I feel like Cam Thomas might be that guy this year, and I get he's an imperfect player. The efficiency's not there. He does not pass ever to anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. But you want to talk about a bucket and a guy that can get his? Come yeah. on. Just, I, think, I, I think he's a realistic shot. I think, I think at 21, yeah. if, you know, if not 19, he's someone that I would keep an eye on just because like, again, is he your, is he your future starting wing? No, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a microwave guy. He's a bench guy. But if you could get that guy on a rookie contract and he's going to be able to contribute right away, it might be valuable. Yeah. An- another guy, he doesn't necessarily fit into, you know, what Dallas was envisioning, but a Trey Murphy, uh, you know, I like his defensive acumen combined with this, the fact that, you know, he's a gun from three uh, out of Virginia. I-, I think he can certainly help. And then I want to look for, you know, a backup five, man. I want an insurance policy for Mitch. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Uh, we're not clearing the, dur- the durability for Mitch. I would look for, for a backup five in the draft as well. I know they, they, bringing back Pell. I'm not so crazy about him. I don't know about whether they bring back uh, uh, Nerlens at all, but I would like to see them, you know, with one of the later picks, whether it's 32 or even 58, see if they scoop up a big man um, just, just to have some insurance there, to, depending on, on what happens with Mitch's future. I'm, I'm just waiting for the Isaiah Jackson pick. Kentucky, yeah. CAA. Yep, yep. I mean, just throwing it out there. Makes sense. <laughs> I mean, the, the writing's on the wall. The writing is on the wall, man. The writing is on the wall. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm Mr. Claudio. Hey guys, it's Tom Piccolo from Talking Knicks. And my question is about Obi Toppin, who, even though he surprised us with his productive play in the postseason, I think it's fair to say that much of his regular season play was disappointing. It's not entirely his fault either, right? He only averaged 11 minutes per game, playing the same position as Julius Randle, who led the league in both minutes per game and total minutes this season. And even when Obi was on the court, he wasn't used in the best way possible. If you look at how his shots were generated, he took more spot-up attempts than pick-and-roll finishes as the roll man, post-ups, and transition attempts combined. So my question is, what's going to change in year two? Where will his minutes come from? Do we really expect Obi to play more five under Tibbs, even with a healthy Mitch back? If Obi plays next to Randall, will he really be utilized any differently? So what's different in year two for Obi? Thanks, guys. Every time I hear Tom speak, every time I hear him speak, I'm like, I'm not smart enough to be doing <laughs> what I'm doing. I just, wanted, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, CP, what are, you, what are you thinking about Obi next he year? He has to. He has to, and I don't know if Tibbs is going to go there. But I continue to question 
this OB pick, man. I like the kid. I like the fact that he came along in the playoffs. I like that he had that moment in game two and, you know, he had the garden rocking. Um, but he has to play the five in order for the Knicks to truly see what he can be or else we're wasting our time. You know, him playing 10 minutes off the bench every night, you're never going to know what you have in the kid. And depending on what personnel you put around him, it's critical that one, you have a point guard that can play with him in the pick and roll and also in transition. You know, it's, it's no surprise that as soon as Derrick Rose got here, that Miami game, they're connecting on the one, two with ease. Mm-hmm. And, and it seemed like Obi kind of went up as soon as, as uh, Derrick Rose got here, you know, defensively uh, I did like how he came along defensively. You know, that was the, the one question mark about him coming out of college was how he would defend at the next level. I thought he, he did well there. I thought he was active on the boards. He was active defensively as well, but it has to be at the five, man. And it, it, they have to figure out, are there opportunities to get him out there with Julius, even with the healthy Mitch, uh, and, and have him running with that starting unit with hopefully with a, with an upgrade at the point? Um, you know, I know they didn't, they didn't make the finals because they're best player and maybe, you know, the best postseason player in the league um, was injured. But uh, the Clippers just played a whole lot of really nice basketball yeah. without – any semblance of a center whatsoever. We see, we see this every season in the playoffs. And I understand just because you do something in the playoffs doesn't mean you rely on it for 82 games during the regular season, but we're not asking reliance um, in the regular season. We're asking for essentially five to eight minutes a game. If you, because what, what, here's what we know, what's going to, we know what's not going to happen. We know Tibbs is not going to reduce Julius Randle to 28 minutes a game, right? That's not happening. That So that's not how Obi gets to his 20. He gets to his 20 by sharing the core with Randall. It's the, to me, uh, CP, it's the elephant in the room of this, of this. I mean, shit, you could even go like, as far as the the thought process of this regime and how re- how really much they're planning this stuff out, like you just invested this pick, there's a significant pick you passed up on Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, like you can't. It's we can't get another okay 12, 13, 14 minutes a game. Play the kid, see what he can do. As Tom said, put him in situations that you drafted him for. I think I I'm okay with all the threes this season because it was you need to develop that part of his game to make him a more more well-rounded player. But now that you've hopefully developed that part, now let's really unleash him. Um, I hope they do it. I think they, I think they will. I say tepidly (laughs) with very little confidence, but I, 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 I hope so, man, because as you said, you know, Ty Lue showed in the playoffs uh, the ability to be flexible, the ability to adjust and do anything it took to win. And and yeah. throwing in Batum at the five, taking out Zubox. He didn't even play Cousins in, in no. that Jazz series. And he had Batum at the five. They exposed Gobert and they got the Jazz up out of there. Next series, he's going to Zubox. He's going to Cousins. And, you know, they, they gave the Suns all they could handle. I think with Tibbs, we have to play with these lineups and see if an OB Julius ticket can work. You know, I'm not saying that that would have been the difference in beating the Hawks because I just think the Hawks were an overall better team. They were a way better team than us. Yeah. But we have to see it or else I feel like this OB pick was a waste at eight. I just feel like it was a waste. Yeah, it's, it's harsh, but it's not wrong either. So, yeah. CP, Macri, Alex Chateras here. You know what it is. Here's my question for you. Let me set the stage, all right? MSG, pickup, five on five. Both of you are captains, all-time Knicks. I need both of you 
to create a team to face off against each other of all the of historical Knicks, all right? So Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, Carmelo Anthony, so forth. The caveat is you both can't select the same player. So if one of you chooses Patrick Ewing, one of you chooses Carmelo Anthony, the other one cannot. All right, fellas, I want to hear your list. I'm looking forward to it. So I figure the way we'll do this is we'll actually do it like pickups. So CP, yeah. uh, we'll let you because you're the visitor go first. Right. And we'll well, go he should back. get to pick if he wants to go first. Uh, okay, then that's fine. If you pick if you want to go first. No, we're not doing. It's not snake. Oh, it's not like, snake. Oh, it's okay. like pickup where you just okay. pick in your five that's back fine. and then, forth. Th- then CP goes first. Shout out to Alex by the way. I love the work he puts out. Um, yeah. You know, he's 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 awesome guy. Um, okay, CP, it's your. I guess it's your pick. Man, pressure's on, man. Wow. Alex is Jamaican. I'm Jamaican. Patrick Ewing is Jamaican. Do I go Pat? We have the same post. Look, we're, there's my poster. It's behind you. God, man. We all, everybody had that poster. If you were, if you were born in the 80s man, you, and you came up in the 90s when that poster came out, you had I, that poster. I got to go with Pat first. I got to go with Pat at my five. I got to go with the countryman, man. Um, okay. Um I'm actually, I, I gotta say, I'm a little surprised you did that. Um, I know, me too. <laughs> because God, man, I had to, there, there's a position that, well, actually, you could cheat. Uh, I'm not gonna give away any, I'm not gonna help you out. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Walt, Walt Clyde Frazier as oh, my starting point guard. Clyde at the one. Okay. There's a cheat there for, cause, cause, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna say anything. So we should clarify. I know you're both one pick in, but I think those would be the one and two of any draft. Are we doing it where you have to pick a team that makes sense? Yeah, of course. It's making sure it's pickup. If you want to just play with four centers, you might dominate the court or LA fitness for two hours. Listen, if CP wants to draft, you know, four centers well within his right. Okay. Deal. I'll go mellow. Okay. I had a thought to take mellow instead of. Yeah. Instead of Walt, but I went, I went Clyde. So now here's what I'm going to do. Oof. All right. Let's hear it. I am admitting that I'm doing this not only to build up my team um, with one of the great street ball players of all time. Um, I believe his street ball name was black Jesus. Before oh. He never got any of the Pearl nonsense. Oh. Uh, I'm going with Earl and now you have no point guard. So have fun with that CP. Ah, you know, the, the pearl was like, that That was my my secret pick, man. Good pick, good pickup. Thank you. Great pickup. But you got Mello and, and Patrick. I, I mean, know, man, I'm being greedy. All right. That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, I got to go Bernard, St. Bernard. Sets. I got to go St. Bernard. So you have some scoring on your team, don't you? You have some scoring on your team. Yeah. Um, Bernard. Okay. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. This is now I'm in a bit of a, now I'm in a bit of a tough spot. I did not anticipate you going Bernard here. Um, That's okay. That's fine. We're playing. Is there a three point line on, on the, on the court, Andrew? Yeah. Ones and twos. Uh, Okay. All right. All right. There's ones and twos. Okay. Um, Man. 
Okay, I'm going to... Oh, God. I can't believe I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to... I'm showing the faith. I am going to show the faith. I'm taking Julius Randle. Whoa! And there's, there's some strategy here, which I will get to before we close out, but I'm taking wow. Julius Randle. He's going Julius. Yes, I'm going Julius. A new age pick. Wow. Okay. All right. So, I got to go spree. Oh, God. I got to go spree. Okay. All right. I I did not. Okay. You really do have a lot of scoring on your team. (laughs) You do. Okay. Um, you got a lot of scoring on your team. I have to stop you. I have to have, I have to have someone who can get in the way of all of that scoring. Um, I'm, I'm sticking with the strategy. I got to trust that what I'm doing is going to pay off. Okay. I'm going with David the Busher. Oh, nice pickup. Nice pickup. Nice. Last pick for both of you. Last pick. I know he went down in a blaze. And his tenure with the Knicks was an embarrassment. It went oh, wow. Opposite. But when it comes to street ball, like the Pearl, Starberry's name okay. rang true. Yeah. In these New York streets. That's uh, could have went so, Mark Jackson. Could've you going Starberry? I'm going Starberry. I'm going. Okay. Um, so my strategy did. I, I I don't. I got a little jammed up with the, with the Julius pick. I stick by stand by it, but the strategy did pay off because I get the greatest Nick in history with the last pick of this draft at Willis Reed, yeah. which I knew was going to be there from where once you once you took Ewing. So our squads are. So my squad is Reed in the middle. Julius and DeBusher at the three and the four and uh, and the, the championship backcourt from 1973. Nice, Clyde. The Rolls-Royce backcourt. The Rolls-Royce backcourt. Oh. And you – and you. so you have your – who's who, – who, you tell me what the positions are. Or is it, you're just going positionless, basically. I'm, I'm going Starberry at the one. Yeah. Three at the two. Okay. Hard at the three. Yeah. I'm going Nick's Tate Mello at the four. Four. And Pat at the five. That's a squad – now, since I'm technically off the court getting my five ready to play you guys or the winner of you guys um, with the remaining players, I'll go uh, Jeremy Lin at the one, Jamal Crawford at the two, Alan Houston at the three. Uh, he who shall not be named that now plays in Dallas and is untradeable at the four and uh, defensive player of the year, Tyson Chandler at the five. Nice. That's pretty good. There you go. We got next. Not bad. <laughs> you, got, <laughs> you got next. All right. Okay. That was a great question. Yeah, that like was that. a really I good like question. That. That, was right. I, that will that that will keep me up at night. Uh, <laughs> that will keep me up tonight. What up, John? You ready for the next question? Yes, we're ready. Here we go. Oh, the dogs here. Okay. What up, John? What up, CP? Chris and Russell here uh, with a quick question about our Knicks in a historical context. Um, This 2021 season was special. Randall was rewarded with the most improved player 
award for it. I, I gotta know though, is is was this a real superhero season? Do you think this was a bunch of things just happening to come together? Or, uh, in your guys' experience as Nick fans, is this gonna be a season that we really remember forever? Um, I've been told a lot that I'm too naive about this team. Am I right to think that I'm going to be telling my grandkids about how the 21 New York Knicks rose out of the ashes? So CP, I'm curious how you read this question, because when I hear like the one, the team you're telling your grandkids about, are you more likely to tell your grandkids about this team? If they were, if they're going to be like, not a one and done, but like, that team stands out above all the rest, or if it's the, that was the start of the rebirth. I f- I don't even know what the what the what the better. Obviously, we want it to be the start of the rebirth, but yeah. in terms of it being a special team, I don't know. How do you how do you take this one? Um. Well, I would say because we've seen special seasons before. I mean, not the greatest, obviously, you know, we've had a lot of heartache in in our history. Um, I think it was special in that, you know, it's been so long since we had been back to this point and the expectations were so low. I think it's special for, for a guy like Chris. I mean, shout out to Chris. You know, I was out there after game two (laughs) when mayhem spilt out, you know, out onto the streets of seventh Avenue. And it was literally thousands of people out there celebrating the Knicks first win in eight years. Like they won the championship. And and in in the the, the chaos and, and everything, I run into Chris, you know, who who hadn't seen greatness or, or hadn't seen a special season uh, as, as a young Knicks fan. So for him, I think this is something that he can share with his his grandkids yeah. and tell them about that night. He was in full Frank the Tank mode, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure I'm he was. You, man. I was so happy for this kid, man. The, the, the jubilation on his face. We're going was, streaking. It was absolutely epic, man. But um, I still think it it, it 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 has its place because, like I said, the expectations were so low. Um, Julius's performance, his rebound from the previous year mm-hmm. was so special. And not just in terms of, you know, having career highs and everything, but just actually making the team better because we didn't know he was capable of doing that. You know, that was our expectation when we signed him, that he would hit the the threes at a clip that he did it with New Orleans or even better and that he would, you know, elevate his play as a playmaker. But it was such a disaster last year that, again, the expectations going into this year were low. Um, So I think I think it it still was special in in that regard um, because Tibbs was able to do so much with so little, you know, lowest payroll in the in the uh, in the in the league. I think in the NBA, you get seasons from nowhere. I think in the NBA, you get franchises and teams that have been downtrodden for a very long time that have that first season when they're going to be good again. And it starts at at point A. I think it's very rare that you get both because usually people anticipate like because there are high pedigree players there like, okay, this is the year they're going to start to put it together. Um, That was not the case. But the fact that there is this chance that that this is the beginning of something, but also it was completely unexpected. But that just brings me back to the fact that like how much of, of, of this is about the, the wonder of now what comes next. I feel like that was that 
as much as the season itself was special in the moment and these games were amazing in the moment for me, always, it was like, wow, we're back as a franchise now being respectable, the whole thing. Um, where can we go from here? Cause it, you know, we're Knicks fans. It's always about the next, it's the next day. Always about next team. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like we're back to where we started in terms of, you know, the roster composition and yeah. how do we meet or exceed where we left off like, for sure. That season it's going to be tough. Well said. All right. I want to, I want to, we have one more question left. I want to piggyback just real quick. It's actually, it's important to recognize Chris being the one that asked this a 19 year old or 18 year old turning 19, you know, we're the old heads that had really remember the nineties. That was such a fun time. And it's always been going back to then to talk about when it was special to be a Knicks fans. And I mean, not for nothing, John, it's also, evident by how some people our age talk about that mellow team and how it was nice, but it wasn't sustainable. And I mean, the discourse, we haven't even talked about the discourse on Twitter this week. I really don't want to, to be honest, but the point being that there's been a lot of revisionist history about, well, it's actually the worst thing that happened. That they trade for mellow. So now Chris and his generation, especially with what's happened in Brooklyn have something to point to and be like, yeah. you know what? It's still special to be a Knicks fan. And these are the memories I'll point to. Yeah. And it's why you understand if we don't want to give any of these young pieces up because we'd like it to be this special for a while. Um, now, like last but not least, I pulled some strings and got a very special guest. CP, this is specifically for you. Last question. What's up, John? What's up, CP? Thank you so much for taking my call. I greatly appreciate it. It's an honor to be a part of one of these things, and I don't take it for granted. My question actually has nothing to do with basketball. The Hall of Fame in football is obviously a hallowed, sacred honor and an entity that only the top 1%, the greats of the greats, actually get in. And my question to you two that are historians that have been sports fans forever and can give me an, an unbiased, rational, informed take. Can a quarterback that never led the league in any significant statistical category other than interceptions, which he did three times and finished his career with exactly the same number of losses as he did wins. Can he be considered a hall of famer? If the only case is that he won two Super Bowls, which really was more the defense carrying him to those Super Bowls anyway, uh, is, can that actually be considered a hall of famer? I'm not throwing any names out there. I just, just random player that, you know, maybe played in a big market with fan ba- fans that are also Yankee fans and overrate their greatness of their players. Also, um, that's my question. I'll hang up and listen. CP, your thoughts. <laughs> listen, you know the answer already. <laughs> Sending Eli to Canton on the first jet, smoking as soon as he's eligible and getting fitted. For yeah. The- Hopefully, his plane doesn't get intercepted and land someplace else. Two wow. Bowls and two MVPs. And don't forget the run up to the Super Bowl. He got it done when it counted. And that's all that matters. Two. How many does Aaron Rodgers have? One. Oh, God. How many does Drew have? One. So the, the, the NFL also does. Go ahead. Go ahead. That, that gives you extra points. That's that's hey, extra points on the test, Mac. Hold on, say that last point again because I talked over you. I don't want to Max Keller in you and the audio dominate. Go ahead. 
Yeah, Ken Kellerman's a punk. For beating the undefeated Patriot team, who was expected to go 18 and 0. And come on, man. That 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 alone is Hall of Fame worthy. Can I chime in here real quick? Yeah. Once upon a time, I used to root uh, vociferously for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I don't have any more emotional um, or spiritual capacity in my my fan soul to really dedicate the, the energy I used to. Um, but uh, I have been privileged to be able to get to root for Ben Roethlisberger for um, most of my life. And let me tell you, as someone who used to bartend on Sundays um, for for many years, like I would watch giant fans watch Eli Manning and I would see how they would watch him. And every Sunday and I, listen, Rotsberger is not perfect. Right. And it's, and you'd look at any of the leaderboards, they're neck and neck. Rotsberger is a little higher than Eli and all of them. I just want to point that out. Um, but like they're, they're right there. He wasn't perfect, but never once were any, I mean, any Steeler fan worth his salt was going to be like, Oh man, I wonder what would happen if we had a quarterback who didn't do X, Y, Z. Cause it's like, it was Ben. He was our guy. You trusted him. And I like that trust just was not there in the same way with giant fans. So with, with Eli's, I, I just want that noted for the record. That's all. You, you know, regular seasons were rough for us, man. Regular seasons were rough for us. But, but like I said, when it mattered the most, he got it done. And if Plaxico doesn't shoot himself in a nightclub, he might have three. <laughs> and if and if Asante Samuel catches a football, he has zero. Might have three. If David if David Tyree doesn't catch a football with his head, he might have zero. Two thousand and eight Giants team was knocking out the entire league, Claudio. That team was steamrolling the whole. Say it again. Say it again for me. That team, that defense, those those Road Warriors, the Justin Tuck, Osimu Yuminura, Michael Strahan, Antonio Pierce. Badly cut short. That could have been one of the best duos in league history. But they got it done when it mattered. They went into the frozen tundra Lambeau Field. (laughs) Frozen tundra? I love it. Frozen tundra. Sub-zero temperatures. Okay, and they were playing pitch and catch out there, like it was like they were out on the beach, dominating in, in Brett Favre's territory, and came away with the victory. I, I know tomorrow I'm gonna get so much shit from Giant fans because because like the go to is you don't know what a good quarterback looks like. How's Mark Sanchez doing? And it's like I'm with you, John. I have so many Giant fans in my life that cursed the name of Eli Manning for the first four years of his career. Then the Super Bowl happened and it was like, so what if you won a Super Bowl? He's still yeah. mediocre. Then the second one happened and the 180 became actually he's a Hall of Famer. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I will. Let me just I will say that and maybe we'll end on this. Uh, there are one, two, three, eleven uh, quarterbacks who have more interceptions in their career than Eli Manning, and uh, four, five, six, seven of those eleven are indeed in the Hall of Fame. Oh, John, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. He's going to make it. On that list, Brett, Brett, Brett Favre is something. number numero uno on Thank that you. list. Thank you. There you go. And it's not even close. He has <laughs> Brett Favre. Wow, he has like sixty more interceptions. Than this right? The Wrangler jeans. Give me a break. Eli Manning, first flight, smoking a Canton. Give him his jacket. 
Uh-huh. I love it. I, listen, I, I agree he's going to get in. I just, similar to how when Mitch Richmond got in, the NBA was like, well, Mitch Richmond's in. We have to now, that's the bar going forward. Basically, if your defense carries you to two Super Bowls, you are a, eligible for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I, there actually is no perfect NBA comp to Eli Manning. I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to think of one right now. I can't. I have uh, a hot take, but I actually, I almost said Ben Wallace, but I, I'm not going to do well, it. No, Ben Wallace was like the best player in a finals. I think the, the, the take, and it's disrespectful. Cause like, we're just like dudes on a podcast saying this guy wasn't a hall of famer, but like Chris Bosch, I, I mean, if he doesn't play for the big three, is he a hall of famer? I think based yes, on NBA standards, I think he could have made it. Yeah, he's all, but he was consistently one yeah. of the one of the fifteen best players in the league throughout his throughout his career. I, I, was nice, man. He was, but like similar to the like the reason he's going to make the Hall of Fame is because he was the third. Like the yeah. the playoff accomplishments then complete the resume. Get it for you. That's the reason he's making it on the first ballot. He would have made it anyway. This is the basketball. It's the second fame. ballot, though. It's the second ballot. Fine. But I agree. Like, maybe he would have been like a seven. Like, the good case might actually be when Melo's eligible. Will he be first ballot? Or will people knock how he will? Like, his there will was? be fanfare around when he is the first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. going to be celebrated. If, you, if you're factoring this, the Q's run, he's in. And the Olympics. I, look, I agree. I'm just wondering if we get the same process as like seeing if he has to wait similar to how Reggie Miller had to wait a couple tries. Actually, Mello might be Mello's better at basketball than Eli Manning is at football. I want to be very clear about that. I think, I think Mello's in first. But, but but that's not a terrible that's not a terrible comp, actually, in a weird way. On that note, um, obviously, I don't need to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's how I end every show. CP, can you tell the folks at home where they can find you? Yeah, man. First and foremost, um, this was a blast. This is one of the, the most fun podcasts I've, I've ever been on, so definitely appreciate that. Uh, YouTube.com slash KnicksFanTV, KnicksFanTV.com, uh, KnicksFanTV on, on all social media platforms, man. So, fellas, thanks again. Um, you broke the mold and you um, continue to set the standard. Uh, you are, uh, I think, uh, I speak for a lot of people, say you're an inspiration to a lot of folks out there. And, um, yeah, man, it's been awesome. Um Think about those train rides home, man, from the bar. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Definitely. Thanks again, fellas. Uh, anytime. And uh, everybody out there, thanks for checking out another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, it's coming. We're coming out. We're coming at you on Friday. So enjoy your Fourth of July weekend. Um, you know, enjoy the fireworks. Uh, we'll see if we get some fireworks in the emanated by the Knicks front office in the next couple of weeks. And we'll, I'm sure discuss all of that in upcoming episodes. Uh, until then, uh, be well and be safe.